صباح الخير جود مورنينج دي ليسنز يو ليسنينج تو راديو 3 سي ار اون 855 Palestine Remembered is Australia's only English language radio program that is totally dedicated to Palestine. We'd like to welcome those listening on 855 and those that will join us on podcast at 3cr.org.au. Thanks for joining us. Stay with us and enjoy the episode. Bringing you the news and views and the untold side of the Palestinian struggle for freedom from a Palestinian perspective. Good morning, Rob. How are you doing? Good morning, Nasha. I'm I'm going all right. More more to the point. How are you going with all this Palestine stuff going on? The horrific crimes. Firstly, I want to thank you for the text you've been sending me. Just checking in, and our listeners, if you've got Palestinian friends, be sure to do some health checks with your Palestinian friends. The vision we're seeing is very triggering. I made a mention in a panel I was on just recently during the week that in fact what we're seeing in high definition video on our screens is the words of our parents and grandparents describing 1948 to us, 73 years ago, Nakba. And whether it was Sheikh Jarrah or what's happening in Gaza now, expulsions, evictions, devastation and bombings. That's something that we're all too used to, but the imagery is just so, so depressing. Rob, we had a couple of guests lined up from Gaza. We had actually started speaking to them. We heard a couple of bombs and sadly, we haven't been able to reconnect. So and that's all very serious. That's actually what did happen. We started having a conversation with a with a professor, and we did hear the, the bombs, and then it did cut out. It's a horrible feeling. We don't know what happened. Whether you know, I mean, it's just that's what happens over there. So that was Dr. Mushir Ahmed. Regulars to the show will have heard Dr. Mushir speak before. Connect with him hopefully later in the week. I did get a, a WhatsApp message that it's all fine. It was just a power cut. Oh, the bombs were a few kilometers away. But we're very lucky to be joined by a dear friend of yours, Robert. Another question yes. that you've introduced me to, Mahmoud <laughs> Munna. And Mahmoud's joining us from the Educational Bookshop in Jerusalem, Palestine. Hi, Mahmoud. Alan Nasser. Thanks for having me on your show. It's a pleasure, Mahmoud. It's a pleasure. Now, Rob keeps introducing me to Palestinians, and Palestinians call me and go, how's Rob? You know, nobody ever asks <laughs> about me, Mahmoud. Yeah, you, uh, you need to check your friend list, uh, Nasser, <laughs> you know. Having Rob on your friend list is keeping you busy. I did want to say that when we were going to have you on during the week, it brought all of these feelings rushing back when I was sitting at the, uh, you know, at your bookshop, the educational bookshop in Jerusalem, one of my favourite places in the world. You can sit there and watch the world go by. You can walk through all the shops and, you know, see what's going on. It's just a, an incredible place. So if, if anyone can, has the, the will to get there, do it and sit at the bookshop, buy some books and wander around the old city. So, you know, great to hear from you again. Thank you, Rob. That's very kind of you. Mahmoud, why don't you tell us about the bookshop? How old is it? How long have you been there? What do you do? Right. So I'm actually the youngest of a family that started the bookshop back in 18, sorry, 1984. And I was born in 1982. So I'm as old as the bookshop, uh, mid-30s, basically. The bookshop was started by my dad. And my dad was a teacher in the uh, Shafat refugee camp. And he was teaching from six o'clock in the morning until midday. And after midday, he had nothing to do because the school will shift with another shift of students and 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 uh, teachers so he had a lot of time on his hand it must have been my mom who told him get off the house and do something useful so he started a bookshop and then it uh, it took over uh, changed hands uh, with the family basically with the brothers and still is a family run uh, four of us uh, brothers and my dad's still alive still with us still kicking 
and we run the bookshop. We have two, three branches now in Jerusalem. We sell Arabic books, English books, as well as office supplies and stationery. We focus on our books on the Palestinian story, Palestinian history, Palestinian politics, Palestinian identity, Palestinian music, Palestinian dance. Uh, the key word is really is Palestinian. Uh, any book that speaks about Palestine from a decent point of view, uh, informative, constructive, it has a place on our shelf. Uh, that's that's what we've busy been doing. So the bookshop, in a sense, takes this kind of political angle to it. Um, I like to call it the Palestinian identity bookshop, not the Palestinian politics bookshop. But in a place like Palestine, uh, uh, politics does get itself into the nitty-gritty of things. So everything is political here. So even a bookshop that sells books about Palestinian fiction and Palestinian cuisine and cooking and, and, and music also a political bookshop but we're proud of what we're doing and uh, we are um, trying to spread the word about Palestine it's a difficult time now but it's also a reminder of um, the need for people to learn and educate themselves yeah absolutely would you have an online presence yes indeed we have a strong uh, social media presence and we have our own online bookshop uh, kind of uh, website educationalbookshop.com we ship worldwide we have lots of books that you uh, also can't find except in here but we also have all the books that's published about palestine and uh, let's put it that way books that comes from our bookshop comes with a taste of palestine a taste of jerusalem so we really encourage you. Uh, and you've also put some events on too, which I went to a couple of them. So they were, they were pretty cool as well. You know, we had the author come and speak and, uh, you know, panels. Yes, to talk. that's the other dimension. Uh, that's the other dimension. We, you know, you, you run a bookshop in the 21st century, you have to be active, but you're also in Jerusalem uh, where discussion, uh, avenues for discussion is limited. So the bookshop is taking upon itself the responsibility to create forums and spaces yep. and, and uh, events where we can talk, talk about books about, with their authors, editors, etc. We actually done also film screening, Palestinian films. It's a little bit of a cultural institution uh, in Jerusalem. What's the website, Mahmoud? The website is educationalbookshop.com. Educationalbookshop.com. Okay, we'll, we'll put that in the podcast so people can link on it and shop and, uh, and give your store some support. Now, you're in Jerusalem. Obviously, the, the challenge of the past couple of weeks, Ramadan, Storm of Aqsa, the expulsions in Sheikh Jarrah. Why don't you tell us what it's been like for the past few weeks? Pretty crazy. Like we are in the middle of the triangle, even geographically, between Sheikh Jarrah, Damascus Gate and Hama Sharif. Well, if you, if, you throw, if you draw a line between these three places... We're exactly in the middle of them. It's it's strange, uh, to be honest with you, Nasser. It's, it's a mix of anger uh, and hope. Uh, I don't think I ever felt like this, to be honest, in my 30-odd uh, years in, in, in Jerusalem. Uh, there's a lot of anger and, and sadness, of course, for the loss of life and for the destruction and, and for the uh, children that's being killed in, in, in Gaza. But there is also the anger about enough is enough, uh, 73 years of oppression, colonization, uh, humiliation, and essentially Israel is now running a system of apartheid here. So a lot of anger about this and, and the, everyone is saying, I had enough of this. Uh, and people are taking things in their own hands. It's not about political parties. It's not about institutions. It's actually mostly young people in the street uh, saying we have enough of this and we want to change. And it's happening in all parts of historic Palestine uh, or present day Palestine. It's in Jerusalem, it's in the West Bank, it's in Gaza, and it is also inside occupied Palestine 48, in Nazareth, in Haifa, in Akko, in Al-Lud, in Milfahim, and so on. 
so everyone had enough, although the occupation is scattering itself quite differently to all these geographically um, uh, separated communities, it still is serving uh, occupation and still is serving apartheid. So therefore everyone is united against that. Um, so that's kind of anger. Uh, the hope is coming from uh, the possibility that hopefully this will bring change, bring change internally uh, on the Palestinian scene. We should not be putting our head in the sand. Palestinian political structure is also divided and it has not been serving the purpose of uh, what is it should be doing. It doesn't have a mandate from Palestinians and it doesn't really represent their aspiration anymore. So there's a hope that this will also rock the boat internally for Palestinian political uh, parties. And it also hopefully rock the boat in Israel as well and, and give that slap on the face for the occupation that Israel does uh, so deservedly need. Israelis, Israeli institutions, Israeli academia, Israeli police, Israeli government need to take that shock and to step uh, back a little bit and see uh, what they've been doing, what they uh, been serving uh, people. So maybe that will also sh uh, kind of shake the Israeli institution. And last but not least, of course, is the international community. Palestinians have been told all the time that they should really make their case packageable and make it sellable for the international community, for, for the Europeans to listen, for the Australians to sympathize, for the Americans to take action. So hopefully this uh, popular resistance in the form that it was in Jerusalem with this um, overly violence that Israel is serving in Gaza, hopefully that will shake off the word as well and to convince them to interfere and take action. We don't want to talk too much about Gaza. We're very keen next week, hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll be able to get some uh, a live cross in there to people in Gaza so they can tell us what it's like on the ground. Hopefully the cessation of bombing will have finished then. One of the things I noted, this is a feeling I've got from the outside movement, is that this most recent ongoing Nakba generation situation in Sheikh Jarrah, it in fact united 48ers with blue IDs, green IDs, Gaza, and in fact, even refugees in Lebanon, Syria, Jordan were all marching. Absolutely. Have you seen this as a, a shift? Like we had, you know, the first Intifada was away from the PLO before it was claimed back, that maybe this is a shift in the leadership, a dynamic, you know, coming back to the streets, to the people? Yes. Look, I mean, the day before yesterday, we had strike here uh, in all of Palestinian territories. Uh, last time we had such a strike uh, on all the geography of Palestine was in 1936, during the British um, um, colonization of Palestine. So this is really bringing, not just symbolically, actually on the ground is bringing people together. And we have seen even activities where Palestinians are going inside 48 to support their brothers and sisters, going to Lud to support blocking the uh, Jewish mobs and Jewish settlers attacking Palestinians. We, showing, we, showing, we saw that where Jerusalem had gone in their cars to fetch in Palestinians coming from 48 from the north into Al Harab al Sharif two Saturdays ago. And we've seen it the other way around. We see Palestinians from 48 coming to also uh, show solidarity in the Sheikh Jarrah. There's a very strong young presence from the Palestinians inside uh, 48 Palestine coming nightly to Sheikh Jarrah. And we see that every Friday, buses of people also coming to pray and to make themselves presence in the Al-Haram al-Sharif in Al-Aqsa. So it's not just symbolic uh, unification, that's, that's, it's also nice and it's also valuable. But it's actually translate into uh, events, uh, that things that happen on the ground. Israel has done uh, the best books in the tricks, uh, the best tricks in the books, sorry. Uh, on, on dividing the people and serving them different documents with different colors, blue and green and whatever and what's nuts and passports and residencies and citizenships and so on. 
but but all of this is just been thrown away in the last weeks and people feeling that they are one again and uh, their call is one is to end apartheid is to end uh, uh, oppression and occupation in the entirety of the palestinian land this is really is uh, awesome and it's really beautiful and unique as i said to really be to push that further i think what we need to see and what we hope that to see in the coming weeks is is that being translated on the political level as well uh, Palestinians in Jerusalem lack leadership, so people on the streets are the leader of themselves, which is great. Palestinians in 48, there is the community leaders, institution leaders, and there is member uh, of parliament uh, who are also considered leaders inside 48. In the West Bank, we have the political parties and so on, in Gaza and so on and so forth. So what we see is, what we hope to see is in the coming weeks, this political collection of leadership, if you like, comes together, becomes much more relevant to the streets, becomes much more representative of the demands on the street. And then we can perhaps start to reap some political fruits from this movement. It's all nice and, and beautiful to, to have masses of people in the street without any leadership, kind of spontaneous and popular. But we also aware that for our liberation, we need to also be framed and we also need to be strategic, institutionalized in a way. And we also exactly and we need kind of a political layer uh, of a leadership uh, that can sail us to the shores of freedom. Here I am on the outside. It's so very easy for me, Mahmoud, to say this is what should happen. You know, we grew up in a house that was so fatah and, you know, pictures of Abu Ammar everywhere, Yasser Arafat and picture with my dad and I'm, I'm still here in my study where I'm, as I'm talking to you, the post Oslo PA, you know, my father was very disillusioned and that was it, you know, and then we have the rise of Hamas and that Islamist movement. Is there a space for, for new leadership? There must be. And I don't, I don't think this is like me being optimistic or, or pessimist. It's, it's just the nature of things. Uh, people are now revolting in the street. We have to get into that uh, stage. It's, it's uh, very beautiful to see. It's mostly, as I said, young people. And when I say young, I'm saying really young. It's actually around 20 years old, but not, you know, I'm in my mid-30s. I look at I look what's happening and I feel like I, I belong already to the previous school of thought, to the previous um, generation. So it's going to take, I think, some time until this develop uh, and perhaps bring about its own leadership and its own vision as well. And it's an all set of solutions, by the way, an all set of perceptions and understanding uh, where the old generation, your dad and my dad generations were much more involved in the uh, Palestinian state, two-state solution, government, and, and all that old-style kind of uh, nationalist solutions. Modern Palestinians might be going for one state. I don't know. I'm just throwing out there and I'm saying we need to allow ourselves to be surprised as well. People here are not speaking about about a flag and a national anthem and a map. They, here people are speaking about freedom, dignity, and liberty. Uh, there is different ways on how you could implement such demand without necessarily having a Palestinian state on West Bank and Gaza. I'm just, I'm just putting it again out there. I'm not saying that's what people want, but I'm, but I'm saying is like we have to also allow ourselves to be surprised by this young people who are new basically uh, uh, leading this new wave. Exactly. And it's very dangerous if we start to dictate it, because if we dictate upon them what the solution will be, then we did nothing. Basically, we actually, if anything, we are shunning them. Um, and that also means political parties. I mean, this the, the get to me between Fatah and Hamas that we've been living in for 30 years. We might see some change. We uh, are, are the change from outside the box completely, seeing a third party, seeing a, a completely 
destruction of this dagatomy or a refurbishment of that party, meaning Hamas and Fatah has to also change, change a lot, which ultimately will lead also to the change of BLO. To be honest, Nasser, it's very, the last thing you want to do now is to try to uh, set in an air-conditioned room and try to uh, imagine where things going to lead. It's in the hands of the uh, young people. Their pain is occupation and oppression and discrimination. What's their solution? We will have to wait and see. And, I'll, I'm not, and I don't have preference, to be honest. As long as we uh, collectively can address these issues and find solutions, then, then that's great. That's the main thing, isn't it? It's the collective, all being together, one voice. Exactly, yeah. exactly. You're mentioning Jerusalem and you're mentioning Palestinians 48. The Palestinians in Jerusalem and the, and the Palestinians in 48 have different bureaucratic paperwork. We know that. The Palestinians inside 48 are Israeli citizens, quote-unquote. They're considered Israeli citizens. The Palestinians in Jerusalem are residents. They don't have citizenship. They don't have political right. But now they are connected like no other time, to be honest. And, and the reason why they're connected is because the third generation in Jerusalem wanted... Uh, to have dignity and to stop this humiliation, their daily humiliation, going to work and going to their sports centers and going to schools and going Al-Haram al-Sharif in the old city. They wanted that to stop and to stop for forever. The Palestinians inside 48, they wanted their official discrimination that happened inside official institution to stop. Ultimately, they're demanding the same thing at the core level, although in details it's slightly different. That's what uniting us. It's, it's actually, ironically, the Israeli apartheid is uniting the Palestinians. <laughs> I can't find a nicer way than doing this, to be honest. It's Israeli ugliness. It's Israeli apartheid. It's Israeli, this language of superiority, Jewish supremacy, that's basically, if you're not Jewish, then you are a second, third, first class citizen. That's what everyone else is feeling if you're not Jewish. And that's why whoever is not Jewish is basically mm. united in this uh, in, in this struggle. So I'm not going to thank Israel for uniting us, but their implementation of such an oppressive regi yeah. regime against anyone who's not Jewish is basically uniting us. Yeah. This is the challenge that Zionism always had, Mahmoud, as a settler colonialist narrative. And when you take that narrative across the world, you see what the British did to Australia and killed all of the indigenous people here. You go to New Zealand, Canada, North America, what they did to the indigenous peoples there. Settler colonialism as Zionism when it came to Palestine is thankfully, but foolishly, if they were going to implement a settler colonialist mindset, you're supposed to massacre everybody. The reality of colonialism, Patrick Wolf, a dear, dear friend, and he said, colonialism, the logic of it is the elimination of the indigenous in not eliminating us. In fact, they don't understand as a settler what an indigenous person's connection to their land is. This is why so many Israelis have second passports, because it's like it's a transient space almost, whereas every Palestinian would forsake whatever passport they've got to be in Palestine home. Now, one thing I wanted to touch on, that core freedom, dignity, equality that the kids are raising throughout all of Palestine is something surely people can't say no to. The time is moving so quick. As you said, Joe Biden is of three or four generations ago, as is uh, Abbas and Haniyeh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the future is in those kids' hands. One of the things that we've seen a couple of visions on, you know, that Jerusalem Day march when that chauvinistic, really fascist, Zionist, supremacist mentality marches through, they cancelled that march because things had flared up. But it hasn't stopped the pogroms happening in you know, Lid and Haifa, Akka, Zionist gangs spray painting on doors that Arabs live in here so that they can come back. What are you seeing around that? Yeah, I mean, you, you described it really nicely uh, in this settler colonialism framework. But it's, and Israel has 
constructed different institutions that each one is serving a purpose, but collectively it's all advancing the Zionist machine or the Zionist program. One of, one of these institutions is what you may want to call ultra-nationalist Israelis, uh, uh, which we call settlers. I mean, settlers not by geographically where they live, although that's also true. Illegal settlers too, we should say. I should say illegal, but, but it's, I'm not per se saying about where they live. I'm speaking more about their understanding and their uh, ideology, basically. What they believe, a lot of them is, by the way, not religious as well. Uh, I think it was Ilan Pape who said uh, it's basically a group of people who don't believe in God, yet they believe God gave them the land. This is basically the group of people I'm speaking about. It's ultra-nationalist that they, their main purpose is basically to kick out the indigenous people out at all costs. Uh, a lot of these people were, by the way, in Gaza. And then they were, uh, when, when Ariel Sharon disengaged from Gaza, so so forth and so-called disengaged, it's such a funny term to, to say it in the current war climate. All, all these settlers were placed in Lud, actually. And these people are very nationalist and believe in the Jewish superiority. They are armed. And they already have infiltrated both the political and the military institutions in Israel. What I mean by that is when they commit their crime, when they basically go around, the mobs goes and shoot around people, they already have their men and women in the institution, in the legal and in the civil institution in Israel, as well as in the military, that will basically get them away with it. They have been committing crimes right, left, and center, quote-unquote, Israel or in Palestine. They're the ones who were responsible for sending the Molotov cocktail on the house of uh, the Wabshi and killing the child. They were the one behind mm. kidnapping Muhammad Abu Khdir and burning him alive. Uh, they were behind uh, shooting Hassouni in Lud and so on. And these guys are now roaming the country. They have their guns and they have their power. They have their institutions, by the way, as well. Uh, whether undercovered uh, in religious institutions or social institutions. And they are basically outside the law, and Israel cannot contain them. Yeah. I don't know if this is good news or bad news for Israel. It might be advancing the nationalist Zionist Israeli project, but this actually is putting Israel exactly under the spotlight of what it is. It's a group of people who are feeling or acting as they are above the law, and they shoot and kill with absolutely no responsibility and no questions. This is what's scaring the Palestinians yeah. the most. The army, the police, to some extent, I got used to how to handle them. But uh, a coward uh, settler coming at night and shooting at my house from a gun, from a machine gun, and then driving away is what's scaring Palestinian communities, especially in the cities, which what Israel call mixed, although they have nothing to do with being mixed, but also with cities our Palestinian neighborhoods that are within close proximity to Israeli settlements, like Shafat and Beit Hanina in Jerusalem. There's already been a case two days ago when three of them came and shot at houses in Beit Hanina and they caused a serious injury for one man. They're there to kill. They're not there to engage or to access a holy site or whatever. They just, their agenda is actually killing Palestinians. And it's very scary for Israelis who are a little bit moderate or on the left. I don't know who's left left in Israel. But they're very scary as well because they are causing existential uh, issues uh, for the state itself. Is there even a left anymore? I think there's three of them. There is two lefts in Israel. I mean, of course, the political parties and government is all in the right. Uh, even Meretz, which is officially considered left in Israel, it's really a central. So there's actually no political representation of the left in Israel. That's just a fact. Now, people who have political ideas who are left, a lot of them left the country because you can't be lefty and still be part of this colonization. Nevertheless, there are very few numbers. I probably could count them two hands. We know them because 
because they write in the newspaper or they come on the TV or they come to a demonstration every Friday on Sheikh Jarrah or whatever. There's very small amount of, uh, of lefties. What there is, is people who are convincing themselves that they are left and they will, they will define themselves as lefty. These people, which I nicely try to call sometimes, is people who basically think that the Palestinians shouldn't queue for four hours at a checkpoint, but should queue only for one hour. This is kind of a left, not a left for human rights. Uh. So they understand why Israel's yeah. security needs is to basically has to make people, Palestinians, queuing, but they want us to queue under a roof, uh, maybe with access to a public bathroom, and maybe shouldn't go for more than one hour. This is kind of a left, right? They want a Palestinian That's state. very nice of them. Yeah, they want a Palestinian state. They will support a Palestinian state, but that state should be demilitarized, should be for no access to borders, should be still be dependent on Israel, uh, should be basically limited access to army and police and, and so on. So that's kind of left. That, there is a fair amount of that in Israel. The problem with these people is what you might want to call liberal Zionists in most of the time anyway. But those type of people is, is mm. what, what you see often on Israeli media as considered the left. But left, left in the true sense of the word left, who actually believe that Palestinians and Israelis, regardless of their race or religion, are equal human beings. There are really very handful of those in Israel left uh, these days. A lot of Jews, of course, but Israelis very few. So that's why I think we should really try to see two lefts, this kind of two lefts very small committed left and a larger no left left nevertheless they will define themselves as lefties this is like kind of the people who tell you look i mean i, I really like the palestinians i have two palestinian friends you know that kind of that kind of left. It's, it's it's often a joke i shouldn't laugh but it's so outrageous to be honest i wrote a funny article the other day and I, that's good and i said a coexistence based on homo that's kind of what we're talking about as, as an israelis it's mixed with orientalists and that kind of feeling like you no know, they like the palestinians but only so they can eat hummus, fix their cars cheaply, uh, invite them for a nice meal or practice their broken Arabic with or put up a music event for them from the Orient so they can enjoy it. That's kind of, but not an Arab that is seen and acted and treated as an equal to them because they still basically influenced by Israel racist supremacy policies. The thing about power is it corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely. When you're put in power with a chauvinist, racist mentality and ideologue and you have someone like Benjamin Netanyahu for 14 years just keep beating that drum of supremacism and demonization of the other. You can't imagine this and how that manifests itself in that superiority, whether it's a Jerusalem Day March or a pogrom or Hamad Khair, just despicable and disgusting acts. Mahmoud, we've only got a couple of minutes left to go. Why don't you tell us what you'd like our listeners to do to support Palestine? There's the obvious what we have to do now. We need to stop basically murdering people in Gaza. Uh, any day, any hour, a ceasefire will get uh, accepted and signed will be uh, something to celebrate for us because it will be ultimately meaning saving lives. The uh, Israeli war machine is at uh, full speed, full force, killing as many people as possible because that's the only way Israel could actually promote a success story to their own people, only by saying that we have destroyed so many people, building and we have killed so many people. That's that's unfortunately what Israel looking as a success. So we need to stop that. So any political pressure we can put, uh, especially if you have among your listeners, people who have influence on that domain. The second thing we need to do is, of course, showing solidarity and support for Palestinians. And for that, I have a two penny worth of things to say. Time for superficial and kind of crust solidarity with Palestinians is, is behind us. I'm really not interested in solidarity coming from whatever in the world, superficially, without really understanding my core issue and my core problem. I need a true and genuine and solid solidarity. 
solidarity that based on uh, unflinching support for Palestinians' right to exist in peace and in dignity to end all shapes and forms of Israeli discrimination and apartheid. Washy-washy, half-heartedly, Saturday afternoon, sunny day kind of solidarity is not really what's going to help the Palestinians. We need to really know who is behind us and who's with us to not really mince our words and not to really water down our activities and not to really shorten our sentences. We need to call what it is, is what it is. And we need to call Israel crimes as it is. It's going to be upsetting, perhaps. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be uh, attractive or trendy. But Palestinians have suffered enough of this oppression, but also in genuine solidarity. We need to have a genuine solidarity. And each one who's engaged on the Palestinian question knows exactly where he's standing on this. So I'm not going to give any more details. Things like Palestinians' right to exist in their country, right of return for Palestinian refugees to come back, decent Palestinian state, if we're talking about state, or equality to the Palestinians within democratic state, those are rights that cannot be dissected and can be partitioned. They are full rights and they need to be served to the Palestinians fully. We need people on our side who accept that Israel have done huge crimes in 48, unjustified crimes. We need people who are going to demand from Israel an unequivocal condemnation and apologies on what happens in 48. This is kind of the time for such solidarity, and this is what I want. But people who are just kind of nicely showing them solidarity with me on a superficial way, it's uh, it's not just disgusting, it's actually insulting, to be honest. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Mahmoud. Listeners, in Melbourne, we've got our protests at 1pm at the State Library, but there are protests in Adelaide, Brisbane, Cairns, Canberra, Darwin, Hobart, Perth, Sydney, Wollongong, all over Australia today, all around 1pm. Google, go to apan.org.au, educationalbookshop.com, support Mahmoud and his brothers. And remember, there's never been a better time for a free Palestine.